This week there is a lot going on, especially today. There's been a lot of things to watch, including Big Brother Canada 9 being underway. I'm still rolling through my Amazing Race Australia viewing. And also, The Real World New York Homecoming has premiered on Paramount+, Plus. something I'm so excited about. I've got an in-depth review, recap. It's going to be a detailed recap of the happenings on this and some other things going on including the NBA All-Star Weekend lineup and some other things so let's get right to it. One thing that I have been very 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 excited about is the Real World Homecoming Reunion show that is currently airing on Paramount Plus. It is streaming on there. Paramount Plus, of course, launched earlier today. It's the new streaming service that is basically CBS All Access, just rebranded. More programming, more original programming. This was their big launch today, and one of them was Real World Homecoming. This reunites the original cast of The Real World from 1992 that aired on MTV. This is the group that was the reality show pioneers. There was no reality TV until this group appeared on our screens on MTV. That group of Heather, Kevin, Julie, Eric, Andre, Becky, and Norm. They, they blazed the trail. I mean, when you look at reality TV now, and you see all this amount of reality TV that's on, they were the only ones. They were the they were the trailblazers. You know, this was something that was brand new. And they talk about it so much on this Homecoming episode of just... Right now, well, I should point out, episode one is up there. They did not put up the full season, which I'm really kind of glad they didn't. Because it's going to... Instead of it just turning into a full, quick binge, it's something that we can absorb. Because I believe it's seven episodes... So we can absorb this over seven weeks. And I'm really thrilled about that, that we get to kind of just take this in as it goes. But they talk about it in this, in this reunion of just like what each of them saw this show as, like how it was pitched to them and that it was pitched to them as it was going to be a documentary and it was just going to be following people around and how they interact and that there's no script. It's just, you know, what what they give them is what they give them, you know. And I started watching The Real World with this season in 1992. Um, I was actually in a group of my friends. We were all gathered together in my room, hanging out, watching TV like we did a lot. We'd always just hang out together, watch TV, play video games, watch movies, you know, whatever there was. And we all landed on MTV that night. It was the summer of 92. We were watching that. And we landed on The Real World. I had not seen it to that point. I think I had channel flipped and saw it on, but I didn't really watch it. And a couple of my friends were like, oh, have you seen this? It's called The Real World. And, you know, it's a documentary. And they follow them around. And it's like, no, I hadn't seen it. And we, you know, just landed the channel on it. And I think we watched, like, probably two or three episodes that night, and I was hooked. You know, I really got into it, and I loved it, and watched it from there on out, you know, watched it for a lot of years after that, and this group here has always meant a lot to me, you know, because it was when, 
you know, I talked about this, I believe it was last week, where it just felt like you were hanging out with friends, you know, because the way that show was, was something that nobody else was doing to where, and they talked about this in this reunion, is that the thing with this show is that, you know, Eric Nees talked about how people like to see vulnerability in people. And this was something to where you weren't seeing characters on TV. You were just seeing regular people on your TV screen and they were opening up and being vulnerable to you to where it really felt like you could connect with them and be friends with them. You know, I remember just the sadness of when the show was over and it's just like, oh my goodness, they're, you know, we don't get to see them anymore. And then, you know, when they brought them back for the season two when they uh, were going to do Real World Los Angeles for season two, if you remember, the first episode was the, a reunion where they brought them all back and basically, you know, got the updates on what they were up to and how their lives had changed since basically becoming TV stars, you know? And, but I remember when that ended, you know, it was like we were getting the Real World Los Angeles and, it's like you're excited for that too, but you're just like, no, I don't want to lose this group because it's like, okay, well, I'm sure this is going to be awesome over here, but it's like you're hooked to them. These are your friends over here, you know, to where it's like you're having to say goodbye to them and then roam over here into this unknown, you know, that's kind of the way it felt when you were watching it. So, I mean, this group here, they changed, they changed everything, you know, and I really like how it's produced. It's, of course, the show opens and they're playing Runaway Train, showing like New York City and they're putting up side by sides of like the New York, you know, the look of New York City and what they do a lot through this episode, like when they're returning back, you know, of course we get a lot of split screens because they're all in the original loft. This is in the original loft. And one thing that's interesting to note is they didn't know where this reunion was taking place. So when they're all showing up, they're like, oh my goodness, this is, we're back in the loft. This is, I didn't know this is where we were going. You know, so that's one thing that was really, really cool. And they just do an awesome job of split screening, especially when they're arriving. They split screen the footage on the left side of them, you know, in 1992, and then split screen with them now. And there's just so much of that split screen through the whole episode of just different moments, you know, the landscape, just everything. That really looks cool. And they're adding a lot of music from that time period, too. And it was a lot of music that was in the original season. I know I'm a nerd for remembering what songs they used in the original real world season. You know, so I'm going to go into some pretty detailed spoilers here. I'm going to recap this episode from start to finish. So if you don't want to know a lot of the happenings, you might want to pull pull this down and not and watch it for yourself before you get the full explanation on me. Because I'm going to go full recap because I took a ton of notes as I watched this because I was super excited and there's really cool footage of in the beginning to where they show like them being interviewed on, do you know what this is going to be? What have you, do you know what you're doing here? Like, do you understand what this is going to be? 
And Julie says, well, I assume this is going to be, I think it's going to be like a New York version of 90210 or some kind of a documentary or something. And the, and the producer says, yeah, it can be like 90210, meaning it's going to focus on young people, but it isn't scripted. And so you can just see like the footage mixed in here of just how completely like innocent and wide eyed that they are just kind of oblivious of what this is going to be and like how their lives are going to change from from this you know they just they don't know what they're walking into and just kind of the overall idea and what this is going to end up being and and even what this is going to inspire into reality tv for years and decades later you know i mean it's like you can filter all this back decades to 1992 it's just crazy how this show just launched so many things so the show starts off we get the cool intro to where you know this is the true story of seven strangers and they recreate it with the footage on the left of them in the original open and then them doing a newer open now, which really looks cool. And then some added things where, you know, like to have your lives taped again, you know, and kind of little things like that on how they do it. And of course it rolls right into just like heaven playing by the cure, just an awesome song to roll into. And we roll into Julie. Julie was the first person that we saw on the real world. You know, we saw her arrive into New York City where she was in that cab. And this was her first time in New York City. You know, she was from Alabama. We get to see her reaction as she entered New York City. And she had this cab driver, you know, that was basically giving her kind of the kind of the information on New York City, just giving her kind of a overall overview you know of what to expect and and we just saw like her wide-eyed expression of like oh my goodness what in the world am I coming into you know and then we cut between that and cut into Julie arriving you know as she's coming through uh, in a taxi cab I'm assuming or just whatever it was I don't even know if it was a taxi cab but anyway whatever vehicle she arrived in and we're seeing Julie arrive and she's taking it in and she's having tears, you know, as she's heading in, you know, and she's talking to the cameras and not knowing what to expect with this reunion. And she laughs about it saying, I'm already crying. I hadn't even got there yet. And she talks about, you know, production, you know, the producer asks, you know, what are you thinking? And she says, you know, I'm nervous that we're not going to be able to give production what they want with this reunion. But she said, but we didn't know the first time either what we were nervous the first time. And we didn't know what we were doing then either. And it worked out apparently with they worked it out with what we gave them, you know. So we cut to the loft and Becky is actually the first one that arrives. And she, you know, kind of gives a look back on her original entry into the real world you know where they cut footage in showing that and she kind of gives an overview of herself and she talks about she says that she was very cocky and arrogant the first time she was on the show and that she just was ready to come in there and just take on the world you know and she said she was curious to see what everyone's lives were like you know just knowing how much her life had changed 
Kevin is the second person in. Of course, we get the cool split screen of him in the elevator, coming up the elevator. And he's talking about it like, this is just crazy. And I'm coming up this elevator again. And Kevin walks in and him and Becky hug. And just a cool moment. I, I was just nerding out through this whole thing. I was, and I was just a lot more emotional watching this watching this show I think than I expected to be, you know, I knew it'd be emotional, but just, I don't know, it was just such like a time capsule thing, you know, and just like you just, there's so many times where I've thought, where are they now? What are they doing now? And how cool it would be to see them again, you know, and we're getting it. So very cool. They roam around, they see the confessional room. They're kind of roaming the, the loft there, seeing how it's changed. They've got the confessional room set up. And they talked about just how things socially are still the same problems today that they had back then in 1992. Like the same social issues that were such a big thing in 1992 are still happening in 2020. You know, as when they recorded this, it was 2020. And Becky talked about, you know, again, how when they came in there, they just thought it was just going to be a documentary, you know, and that there's, they said that there's just no show like theirs, you know, because they were the first. And uh, Kevin talked about, he said, there's no reference point because we were the first. We had nothing to reference. We were coming into all this brand new. There was nothing to play off of. We had no, no anything to, to learn from or to go off of. We were the first. And Becky says, you know, that there was no reality TV before them and that they just had no idea on how it would turn out, you know, that how much reality TV would go on from there. So from there, Norm arrives and he's just talking about, he's like, this is like the Twilight Zone walking in here and there's so many hugs. And Norm talks about when he was originally cast on the show and he said he thought he was being punked back in the day when he got cast because he said he was just such a big nerd that they cast that he didn't think that they would have any interest in wanting to put him on TV and that they did, but said he just thought he was being punked. And at this point, all three of them were just in tears, you know, they're just seeing each other and just the reunion of it all and just the overwhelming feeling of being back in the loft. So Andre is up next. He's the next one in there. And he talked about, he said how arrogant he was back in the day, musician, they, he said his overall like clothing look was broke musician. <laughs> he said my look was just my clothing look was broke musician. That's the best way to describe it. I don't know if that was funny. Andre said that he watched the season on DVD lately, and he just talked about how he was very reserved back then. He was like he was afraid to give his opinion on anything. He thinks now. You know, all these years later, it's something that he'll be able to do. Next is Julie. Julie finally gets there. She arrives out of her vehicle. She walks in as everybody was as everybody was sitting down, just like she arrived in the original. When she arrived in the original, everybody was sitting down in the living room or whatever room that they were in. And of course, Julie walks in, same situation. And in the original, she ran and. Uh, sat down in Norm's lap. So she said, well, I feel like I should do this. So she sat down in Norm's lap again. That was pretty funny. Next is Heather. Heather arrives in there and she talked about, you know, just kind of how it was pitched to her. And she talked about living in New York City at the time and how everybody wanted 
to make it to have a record deal and everything like that. And she said that she already had her record deal walking into the real world. Like she was already she was already doing her thing at that point. And of course, when she walks in, Julie just runs to her immediately with a big hug. And the Julie Heather friendship in that show was such a huge part of that first season of the real world. It was just they were so fun together. And it was just very cool seeing their reunion. Next, things get interesting when we get to Eric Knees. We see him coming in in a limo. They show him coming across the bridge. He's he's in a limousine. He talks about like looking back on his time on the real world. Talked about how he was 20 years old at the time. And he said he was moving at 100 miles an hour in New York. He was doing modeling. He was doing this. He was doing that. So from there, we jump back to the loft. You know, we we left Eric in the in the limo and you know with his interviews and everything. And so we jump back to the loft, and you know they talk about that the, all the last time that they were together was 1993. And Julie talked about how things were still rocky then, like they were still dealing with a lot of the things that they dealt with that happened on the show and the fallout from the show. And they talked about how people didn't know how to react to them after the show was over and that they would see them in person, that people didn't know how to react to them, that they would come up to them and that they didn't know whether they were actors or what. They didn't know how to come up to them, you know, because I think there's, they talked about how so many people thought that they were fake. Like, you know, Julie said something about, Somebody came up to her and said, said, oh, you can you can lose that fake accent. Now, now we know you really don't have that accent. And it's, you know, they're being themselves. But people, because again, this is the first reality TV show. People didn't know how to react to them. People thought they were actors. There were people that thought they were actors, you know. So it's it's very interesting for them to give that perspective of just the different ways that people would react. You know, people would come up to them, kind of like how I'd walk up to them. Like, it's like, oh my goodness, it's like a friend, you know. How are you? How are you doing? You know, that's how I would have walked up to them at the time. I would have come up to them, like, on a friend level, probably. Like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. Can't believe I'm meeting you. And Heather talks about, you know, again, with the documentary, she said with how it was pitched to her on how they were going to do the real world, you know, she it was pitched to her by her manager that it was going to be a documentary about artists and that they were going to pay them and then follow them around. And Heather was like, I'm all in. That sounds good to me. Let's do it. So they start noticing that Eric's late. Eric still isn't there. He's the one they're waiting on. Heather recalls a moment when they were shooting The Real World that Eric was sitting in that room and they actually rolled this footage. It was never before seen footage to where Heather said that Eric sat in that room and he was telling all of them, like, this is going to be huge. This is going to be a huge deal. This show, this is going to be a big thing. And they rolled a footage that was never, never before seen of him talking about that. And Becky talked about how she didn't think it would be anything. It'd just be like some little something that would run for an hour and then people would just move on and move on to something else. So we're all sitting there and then Eric suddenly pops up on the TV and everybody's like, oh my goodness, hey, what's up? You know, everybody's excited to see him, but why is he on a TV? Well, 
Eric was set to be a part of the reunion, and we find out that he had tested positive for COVID. Yeah, Eric Nees is not available to be at the reunion in person. You know, and of course, all of them are just shocked, and Julie has tears in her eyes and everything else because they're all like, well, are you okay? You know, is everything all right? And he talked about it. He said that he's okay, but he said he could feel it in his body, like there was something going on. They said he wasn't running any temperature. His vitals were fine, that he was in a hotel downtown. And of course, that turned the mood down to sad very quickly because everybody was just so excited to see him and you know and of course eric asked he's like well where are you guys and they're like we're in the loft and he's like what are you kidding me like the original loft they're like yeah and of course now eric's crying because he can't be a part of it he can't be there he can't be in that loft it was it was just a sad sad moment you know and it just it turned the mood down really quickly and he talked about how you know, the interviews, he said, well, you remember we were supposed to do all those interviews and then they got canceled. He said, well, I said, the reason it got canceled was because of me. Cause I got, cause I got tested and I was positive and I had to quarantine and that's what ended up canceling the interviews. So, you know, they all thought it was like a crew member or something. They didn't know it was actually one of them. So the group all, they all go into a confessional room. They all give a shout out to Eric and just tell him how much they love him and miss him. So with Eric, we get a little bit of details on what he's been up to since he left the show. Of course, a lot of this we knew. He was on the grind, you know, that workout shows on MTV. He did workout videos, did a lot of the MTV challenges. He hosted productions, did some movie cameos. Here's what's really cool here. He talks about how he's been drug and alcohol free for 18 years. Hasn't put a bit of that into his body. He said in 18 years or possibly even more. He said now what he does is he helps others as a spiritual guide, assisting others to heal from any from many other issues, including illnesses, addictions, or just any issues that he's got. And just just a cool thing to uh, to hear that he's doing with his life. It's pretty awesome, and just the turnaround he's had. It's good stuff. And Heather, you know, she talks about just how she misses those days of you know 1992 and beyond, where she says it was so stress-free you know everything was so simple we just did whatever we wanted she was like I was dumb as could be but it was great days you know because it was just so much stress um, off of you compared to now and of course they all do a selfie with Eric back on the background with the tv very cool Cool throwback moment when they start playing now that we found love with a highlight reel of their some of their fun antics from the season. I just I picked up on a lot of these songs, you know, so it was very cool. Kevin and Norm end up deciding to live together as far as in the room. The plan was it was gonna be Kevin and Eric uh living together just like old times. That was the plan that they were gonna do. And Norm said, Well, all right, well I'm gonna be the new Eric. You know, this is what I'm gonna do. I can be I'll just turn up all the volume on Eric knees. He's like, think I can do that. And uh, so everybody's cracking up at that and laughing. It's very cool. And a cool throwback moment when uh, Becky brought her guitar. She said she just got this guitar and she hands it over to Andre and Andre starts playing the guitar in the living room and Julie and Norm are upstairs watching this and they're like, wow, look at this. Andre's playing guitar in that living room again. It's like, what a, what a surreal moment this is right now. 
And of course, you know, the whole group's just still sad that Eric's not there. You know, the only thing they can do with Eric right now is he pops up on TV from off and on, you know, for uh, whenever they have some big moments going on or something, you know, where they want to roll some footage or show some old pictures or something like that. Anytime there's something going on, you'll see Eric pop up on the TV. And Heather talks about, you know, we have talked about reuniting for years and we've put it off and put it off. And she's like, one day we're not going to be able to do this. Like, you know, one of them is going to be gone and they're not ever going to be able to do this. It's like basically like we've got to quit putting this off, you know, and get us together and do that and reunite. And Julie says, you know, it's not a lacking of wanting to do it, but it's life happening. But yet we have to figure this out. You know, whether life's happening or not, we have to figure this out to where we can get us all together. And Andre gets a phone call from his daughter, and it's this four-year-old little girl. And she says she wants her daddy to show her all of all of his friends so he takes the phone around they're facetiming and uh you know and he's getting to introduce all his friends to his daughter and that was a really cool really cool thing he of course he is now married with a four-year-old they asked him so do you want any more kids he's like nope <laughs> one is enough <laughs> and uh, that was pretty funny and so up on the screen here comes an incoming message where it just shows like a bunch of old pics and they all got to sit around and uh and uh, reminisce and talk about it, you know, and Eric's talking about it, he says, look at what we created, you know, look at, look at this, look at how everything's changed, and Andre talks about how they really changed the world in pop culture, and they said, you know, they talked about how there just wasn't any competition with it, with the real world being on TV, there wasn't any competition, because there wasn't anything else on TV like it, they were the only ones there, so you didn't have to worry about any any competition or anything like that and you know Kevin talks about he brings up just how wild it was to be a young person in the 90s politically and also like you know the reactions to just a lot of the happenings in that time period and here's something I did not know until they aired this because they talked about like you know the the country's reaction to when those officers with the Rodney King thing to where they got declared innocent. And, you know, he talked about just how the country was then and just how it was, how it was like to be a young person in that era with just how so much culturally was happening in the country and politically. But one thing I did not know is that they were actually in the house shooting the real world when the L.A. riots happened, I did not know that because I don't believe they ever showed that on the show. I don't remember that. But they rolled some never-before-seen footage of them watching the L.A. riots as it happened and the reaction of it. It was pretty amazing, you know, which got to talking about, like, you know, where Kevin was talking about, like, on racial injustice and just all the things that were going on. And just how Kevin was just so, you know, he was outspoken about that. And that's something you really saw on the show. And Heather talks about, you know, she says, look at what's going on now. Look at all the things that are going on right now. And Kevin was right. All the stuff he was saying then is going on. And, you know, that was quite, that was quite a moment there when, uh, 
that was brought up because Kevin was so passionate, you know, and so vocal about it. That's something that he, that just meant everything to him, you know, but it was just wild. I just, I had no idea that that show was being done as the LA riots happened and seeing that footage of them watching it was just very powerful. And, uh, you know, Heather talked about like, she was talking about, you know, all of them being together and put on that show. She mentioned like, this was like the biggest blind date of all time (laughs) where we're all being put in this house, you know, and we didn't know, we didn't know each other. We didn't know where anybody was from. We just all got thrown in a house and it was just like, here you go. So Julie at one point calls her daughter Phoebe and, you know, just checks on her, see how she's doing. Of course, Phoebe's doing a lot of, doing some schoolwork and everything. Phoebe's 17, about to be a senior, and so much like Julie. Oh my goodness. And Heather mentions that where she's like, oh my goodness, she is a mini you. Because like her reactions and her body language to like how she was talking about uh, how annoying the schoolwork was and everything. It was just, it was very good. And, you know, we get the background of Julie, like what had, what had Julie been doing after the real world? And she talked about how she stayed in New York after the real world was doing auditions for dance jobs and everything. And she was trying out for commercials and she couldn't get any roles in commercials because again, she was doing dance stuff. And she said that she couldn't get roles because they said that people will just say, oh, hey, there's Julie from the real world. She can't be some background dancer in a soda commercial. And people w- people had no interest in casting her because they they knew people would know who she was and she's just going to be a random background dancer in some commercial. And I guess be kind of a distraction. And then, so Julie said that that's the reaction she would get when she would try to try to audition for something, but then they'd pull her to the side and, and that they'd want her autograph. So yeah, we can't do this, but can we have your autograph, you know, or a picture with you or whatever. And she said that that was always such a kind of a strange thing. After that, she moved to Los Angeles to live with Norm and she worked on the groundlings for a while. And then she talked about, of course, you remember her parents. If you watch the real world, you remember her parents uh, she said that they went downhill pretty quickly with her health So while she was in Los Angeles. So she, between that and then she started dating, who is now her husband, uh, lived in Birmingham. It basically, between that and her parents, it pushed her back toward Alabama and pushed her back there. And of course, now she's got a family. So very, very cool. And uh, they show they show her talking to Kevin and that was very cool where Julie's roaming around with the phone and uh, she said that her daughter was very excited to meet Kevin because he'd been on CNN and she was and we find out that uh, she was like nerding out over it it was pretty funny to talk to Kevin and it was such an interesting thing because we remember the big moment with Julie and Kevin outside and Kevin talks about saying it was like the biggest. So we had the most famous argument in TV, American TV history on race and racism. And, you know, so much of what that conversation was about 
And then you see the conversation with Kevin and Julie's daughter, and you hear what Julie's daughter is doing to where she's an ambassador at a civil rights institute, and she's going to be a senior this year. And and Kevin says, basically, it's like she just wants she wants to change the world, and you can see a lot of Julie in her daughter. Just a very cool, cool moment. And just to see her daughter, just how much of a world changer she wants to be. Just very cool. I love the conversation with her and Kevin. That was just good stuff. And Kevin talked about how he hoped to meet her one day. I really hope that does happen. I hope they get to meet each other one day. So the show ends, this episode ends with, you know, with them talking about the Kevin, Julie, the big outside blow up that they had with the argument over race and racism and Kevin talks about where he said that he every everyone he's encountered always references that argument. And Kevin said he wishes that he had had the emotional maturity to accept people from where they're at for them to accept him where he is at. So, and from here we see a lot of the previews, like from what from the rest of the season, and we're seeing that there's going to be a lot of wounds that we're going to see kind of brought back to life a little bit here. And maybe some things that never got closure on it and some of the issues that they work through as a cast during the show and after the show. So we're going to see a lot of a lot of action here, it looks like. And so, I mean, that's that's pretty much it for the first episode. Like I said, I took a lot of notes. I love this so much. Just I'm so thrilled to have them back. I just I love that original cast so much. And. Seeing them all back was just great. The production's awesome. I love the flashbacks. I love the never-before-seen footage. Production's just great on this. It looks good. I love all the music. It's just, it's such a great throwback and nostalgia. If you're a real-world fan of the original, you need to watch this. You need to watch this. Get Paramount Plus. Watch it. You're going to love it. I know I did. I can't wait to watch the rest. Like I said, it looks like they're going to roll them out weekly, I assume, because there's only one episode up there. So, and again, I like that because we're going to get to kind of absorb this better. So, yeah, good stuff. So, check it out. Real World Homecoming is up on Paramount+. Plus. Check it out. NBA All-Star Weekend is upon us this Sunday, March the 7th on TNT. Coverage is going to begin at 4 p.m. Central Time on TNT. This is how it's all going to play out as far as all the competitions and the game and everything. The Taco Bell Skills Challenge and the Mountain Dew Three-Point Contest are going to take place at 5.30 p.m. Central Time. That is going to be your start time for those that will roll into the 70th NBA All-Star Game. Can you believe 70? That's crazy. 7 p.m. Central Time start for the NBA All-Star Game. The AT&T Slam Dunk Contest will take place at halftime of the All-Star Game. We also have all the lineups that's been announced for all the competitions that will be taking place. For the Skills Challenge, we're going to have Sabonis from Indiana, Vucevic from Orlando, Julius Randle, Robert Covington, Luca, Chris Paul. Those are going to be your competitors in the skills competition. 
three-point contest. This thing's pretty loaded right here. This is going to be fun to watch. Zach Levine, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Steph Curry. That is a strong three-point shootout competition there that is going to be a lot of fun to watch. When we get to the slam dunk, this is kind of the same deal we always kind of have every year is a lot of times we don't know these slam dunkers. And honestly, I think there's only one of them that I've heard of. So, you know, hopefully these players can use this dunk contest to put themselves on the map. I mean, we've had a lot of players do that over the years. So we have Cassius Stanley, Obi Toppin, I believe it's Toppin, Topin, Toppin. I can't remember. Um, and Anthony Simons is going to be your three competitors for the slam dunk. So tonight we had the NBA All-Star Draft take place. Took place on TNT. They said that it was recorded yesterday. So we had LeBron and Kevin Durant drafting. Since KD is out of the All-Star game due to injury, they put in... Jason Tatum as his replacement, and that would be a start. And that would be a starter. Talking about the starting lineup there. So the way that this draft worked, again, it's like a schoolyard draft. You just you pick players. You've got your lineup up there, and you just pick who you want. So with the starters, LeBron got the first pick because he was the leading vote getter. So his first pick was Giannis. Kevin Durant picked Kyrie Irving. LeBron picked Steph Curry. Joel Embiid went to Kevin Durant. Luka to LeBron. Kawhi Leonard to KD. Jokic to LeBron. And then with the last two, with the way it worked out, they automatically went to KD, who was Bradley Beal and Jason Tatum. So that's how it worked out with the starters. So that moves us on to the reserves. KD got the first pick with the reserves. And we definitely saw something here where he picked his teammate first. And we saw that with the starters, too, where he picked his teammate and Kyrie Irving as his first pick with uh, the All-Star starters. And he picked for the reserves. He picked James Harden right off the bat. Went with his teammate. LeBron went with Damian Lillard. KD went with Booker. LeBron went with Simmons. KD picked Zion. LeBron picked Chris Paul, KD picked Zach Levine, Jalen Brown to LeBron, Julius Randle to KD, Paul George went with LeBron, <laughs> and LeBron made the comment when he picked Paul George, he's like, "We normally we're enemies, but I'm going to wave at this one time, and I'm going to pick him. Vucevic went to KD, Sabonis to LeBron, and here's where it got interesting, because I'm looking at this board and I'm going, how's Donovan Mitchell sitting this far down on this draft board? And Charles Barkley spoke up on it and says, uh, he says, no way am I going to stand for this Utah slander that I've got going on here. To where, And they, the rest of them were kind of laughing about it too, saying, how in the world are you letting these Utah players sit down here? And that was Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Those were the only two players that had not been picked at this point. And LeBron fired back and said, hey, we're a video game generation. When we were playing video games growing up, we never played with Utah. And he said, even when Stockton and Malone were on there, we never we never picked Utah. So that was his uh, point of view on why Utah was low on their picks. KD picked Donovan Mitchell 
and that means Rudy Gobert goes to LeBron. Crazy that Donovan Mitchell went that low because that guy there is a basketball player and somebody to keep an eye on. And, I mean, between this and the the Shaq thing to where Shaq was really kind of kind of taking shots at him on a TNT that night when he interviewed him. Uh, Donovan Mitchell's got to be playing with a huge like chip on his shoulder at this point. And, you know, when Shaq kind of took a shot at him, uh, Donovan Mitchell just came back with a, okay, that's, that's how you feel, okay. And he just left it at that, like, this, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong. That's kind of how the okay played out, you know, so... Man, I, I just, I don't understand the Donovan Mitchell thing. But, I mean, as far as the the team here, goodness, I, I, I like LeBron's, especially his starters. I like his starters a lot better. I mean, he's got Giannis, Steph Curry, Luka, and Jokic. Man, <laughs> I mean, that is a solid starting five there. So, that's pretty amazing there. I mean, I just like... Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the lineup here. I just feel like LeBron's got the better team here. Because that's a pretty solid lineup. And he's got Damian Lillard, who, you know, many argued that should have been starting in the All-Star game. So that was LeBron's first pick off the reserves. So, yeah. So that is how it all played out for the NBA All-Star game with the draft and again that will all take place this Sunday on TNT Big Brother Canada 9 is officially underway as we are two episodes in last night was the premiere tonight was the first eviction night for Big Brother Canada now remember Big Brother Canada 8 ended early last year I believe they were three weeks in and this was when the pandemic was really just getting going. When they went in the house, it was still a story, but it hadn't evolved into the dangerous threat that it ended up being. That they, you know, to where everything shut down, to where they kept doing the show until, you know, obviously the world just shut down, you know, including the United States and Canada, obviously. And Canada kept the show going as long as they could and then with all the restrictions in place and just the severity severity of it all they had to uh shut down production so big brother canada 8 wrapped up up there and it was just a sad ending you know watching all these house guests you know get that news and then just you can see the fear on them too is that you know they're learning that they're shutting down because of the virus and they have such a look of fear on their face of what are we getting ready to walk out into as well, you know, because remember they're isolated, they're isolated away. There's no contact when you're in big brother, you don't get contact with the outside world, you know, unless there's like some kind of special thing, even then it's very regulated on, you know, what kind of info you get from the outside. That's usually just if you win a challenge or something like that, or if you have like a family emergency or something, they'll they'll give you information like that. But yeah, so it was just sad. And they really did an awesome opening video for Big Brother Canada 9 to where they, you know, they played that and they played off the theme of that to where 
the theme of this year's house with the setup is, hey, the Big Brother Canada house was abandoned last year. And so it's set there for almost a year. And the look of the house is basically, it's the same themed house from last year, but they have just put a lot of vines and like jungle looking stuff in there to where it's basically like if you roamed out into a field and you see an abandoned house, what do you see? It's grown up, you know, things are grown up over it. So that's what they've done for the theme of this year's house. It's the same exact house, but they've just covered it in vines and jungle and a lot of greenery kind of stuff and things like that. So that's what they did with that. And it's and that's a cool idea. It really is a cool idea to do that. I like the concept of it to where it's like, hey, this house was underway and then we had to abandon due to the virus and everything. And so the house is just set for 11 months now. So I really liked that. I liked the idea of it. That was very well done. And just like I said, the video, the opening video was just really awesome. And just a lot of emotion because you're seeing how it ended last year. But then the excitement of, hey, we're back. You know, Big Brother Canada's back. So here's how it all played out. The twist of, of course, we've got 14 house guests. The twist of this so far is that they were going to be split into teams. You're going to have two teams of seven. You're going to have captains that were decided by viewers' votes. So the captains ended up being Kiefer, who is 32. He's a radio host. Tina, who is 42 and a graphic designer. They are your team captains. So they are going to do like basically another like schoolyard pick. You know, they're going to pick their pick their teams. So, also some information to throw in here as well, as far as, you know, if you're wondering, like, COVID safety and everything, they were put into isolation, the cast was put into isolation for two weeks, they were given multiple COVID tests to make sure they were all good before being put into the house. Now, we remember how Big Brother US did this last year in the summer, to where they basically put them in a bubble, you know, and they were put into isolation. They put in there. They have no contact with crew, nothing like that. Even when they got groceries delivered, they were delivered and, you know, wiped down or whatever. And then they had no interaction with any of the crew. Like they didn't even do cast pictures. You know, that's one thing that Danny Donato kept saying. She's like, we're not even going to have a cast photo. This is such a bummer. She's like, I get it, but it's such a bummer, you know, is not there some way that we could like put somebody on the roof and take a picture from up there, you know? So I'm sure there's going to be some very, very big, you know, deal here on how they're going to protect everybody and keep everybody isolated. So we have Kiefer and Tina. They are the first ones in the house. So what they end up doing, they are told they're going to follow the arrows, which leads them to the games room. Now the twist here is that they're going to get to go in this games room and there's a monitor up on the screen. They're going to get to watch everybody move into the house, but they can, they can see them, but they can't hear them. They can't hear any of the conversation, but they can watch them and kind of see how they're interacting to where they can pick out who they want to pick for their teams. So while they're away, we have the first group that comes into the house, which is Tashawn, Beth, Kyle, and Julie. 
that is the first group in. And it was just such like a human like experience here watching these people move in and the way that they talked about I'm so happy for human interaction. Oh my goodness, I get to hug people. You know, for all of us that have just been in this alternate reality, you know, for almost the last year, or some people it has been a full year. It's like for me, I know it's been almost a full year. I'm coming up on it. You know, I'm like a week away from it being a full year. So I know that for them, they're all talking about how just excited they are to just be able to be with people, talk to people, hug people. You know, just the things that we take for granted, you know, on a normal day to where when we're all finally free and clear to where we can get back to some normalcy, that's something we're not going to take for granted, you know. So this is the first group that moves in. The next group is LaToya, Jetson, Austin, and Josh. Those are the next ones to move in, followed by the last group, which is Rohan, Victoria, Tara, and Brayden. So from there, we have Kiefer and Tina. They're watching back there in that room. And Kiefer actually makes the comment of, hey, why don't we just go guys versus girls? And Tina goes, no. <laughs> just straight up, no. So that was clearly not going to happen. So from here, we get Arissa in the living room. Of course, the awesome host of Big Brother Canada. Arissa Cox, the best Big Brother host in the world, in my opinion. I think she's so awesome. She's so interactive with the fans. And she just wants this show to be so great. I just love Arissa. She's she's awesome. She's very interactive on Twitter. So she pops up on the screen in the living room. And she also, she reveals to the house guest, hey, there's been this vote. There's going to be captains. And this is the first time ever that there's going to be teams in Big Brother Canada. So the captains arrive, they walk into the house, and we have what the teams are going to be called Team Defender, which is going to be Kiefer's team, Team Destiny, which is going to be Tina's team. So here's how the picking went for teams. Tina had Tashawn, Tara, Kyle, Beth, Victoria, and Austin. Team Defender for Kiefer was Jedson, LaToya, Josh, Rohan, Julie, and Brayden. Braden was the last one picked, which is always just a lousy thing. You never want to be the last one picked. And he, you know, he, he tried to be humble about it, you know, and put the, put the motivation on like, okay, well, you're going to pick me last, you know, that's, I'll just, I'll show you, you know. So we get the announcement that there's going to be no HOH this week, no veto comp. And the first comps of the week, it's going to be a team safety challenge to where, it's going to be both teams competing against each other to where the winning team will be safe for the week. You cannot be nominated or evicted. Well, okay, I need to explain that. There's even no point of nominations, I guess. You can't be voted out if you're on this winning team. The, and it also, another thing, the captains are safe. No matter if you're the winning captain, losing captain, captains are immune from being voted out this week. If you are on the losing team, all members of the losing team are up for eviction this week. They can be voted out, and you can vote for any of them. You can vote for any of the six people that you have to choose from, because again, teams of seven, you've got two captains. 
So that leaves you six people to vote for on the losing team. ERISA also announced that all teams will live in the same bedroom. So there's going to be no dividing out each. There's going to be two bedrooms, and each team will live together in that. And this is going to be the way it's going to be for several weeks with teams competing with one another. So the team safety challenge is called drop in the bucket. What ends up happening is that you have each team member holds up their own individual bucket on ropes. The weight is a, uh, the weight of the bucket with what is in it is adjusted to each person's own weight. So they have there's no disadvantage. They're all holding kind of their own weight to where it's similar similar in competing. You know, nobody's at an advantage versus a disadvantage. Last team standing wins. Again, captains don't compete. They do not compete in this. It's only the other team members. One thing that happens here is the team captains have an advantage here to where they can use, there's a little button over on the side to where they can add more weight to any person's bucket to where it makes it harder on them. You can hand them out as many times as you want. And the team captains had two very different strategies to begin here where you had Kiefer he was spreading his weight out where he'd give to one person and then another person and another person. Tina went all in on one to where she was just hammering one person trying to get him to drop. So that was two very different strategies here. So as we get along, this competition, is we got like 50 minutes in, players started dropping out. Toward the end, we have Victoria left for Team Destiny. And then we had Braden and Rohan left for the team defenders. So she has taken on both of them. Braden ends up dropping out. It ends up being Victoria versus Rohan. And Rohan's just beating his brains out trying to stay in this. And Rohan ends up losing. Desti team Destiny wins with Victoria. Just an incredible performance by her. And the competition lasted for an hour and a half total. So the reward for Team Destiny is they get this big feast while Team Defender gets slop. And it's a pretty rough first night with some of these some of these uh, players having to go on slop right off the bat. So from here, we start to see a little bit of the alliances try to form here. We had Victoria, Beth, and Tina form a trio. We had Jetson and Tashawn form an alliance with them wanting to pull LaToya in. And LaToya was already talking about in this competition, they were asked, not competition, in the conversation. Let me back that up. In the conversation, they were asking LaToya, who do you want to see out if you had to pick? And she said Julie because she saw her as the weakest of their team. And speaking of Julie, we had her, Braden, and Austin form an alliance called, that they called the Dolls Alliance. Now remember, we have six up for eviction here. So we're already seeing the six here kind of starting to maneuver and turn on one another and try to you know, push their power and try to get one evicted over the other staying. So Josh, one thing that gets, this is what gets the ball rolling. Josh starts worrying about clicks and he starts looking around and feels like he's not part of any of the cliques and feels kind of left out and that he isn't part of one. He tells Julie that he is starting to see a guy's alliance forming. He thinks it's going to be Pretty Boys 2.0 forming. If you're not familiar with the Pretty Boys, this was an alliance. It was an all-guys alliance 
uh, two years ago on Big Brother Canada that just ran the house. They just ran the house all the way to the end. And Josh started putting that in Julie's ear that he was concerned that there was another guys alliance forming and that they needed to do something about it, saying that we don't want to see that happen again. And, you know, she was just kind of oblivious to it. Like, really? He said, yeah, look, look around the house and look how they're always hanging out with each other. So what happens here? And then, of course, Josh is talking about that he wants Rohan out. That's one thing he told Julie, too. But... One thing that Julie does is that she takes the news back upstairs of what Josh was saying about Pretty Boys 2.0, and this ends up backfiring on her as the group starts saying, they're talking about how she's already spreading news around and she's already stirring it up like she can't keep her mouth closed is kind of the way that the group takes it. And Julie kind of even owns it a little bit. Like after that conversation, she looks at the camera and says, oh my goodness, why can I not keep my mouth shut? You know, basically like she knows this is going to get her in trouble and it already has. Now from here, there was apparently like a back and forth involving Julie. I did not see it as my feed went down for uh, as I that I was watching. So I missed a little bit of this. So I don't know like all the details of what happened. So when I get back, we're up to the eviction as far as when I was, when the feed come back up to where I could see the, see the episode. So we were up to the eviction. One thing that there was a twist on was that the team members of the winning team could anonymously ask questions to any of the nominees that were up there that were up for eviction. So there, there was some power playing going on there and some strategy with some of the questions. So that gets us to the vote. So Julie gets voted out on an 11 to 2 vote. The two votes were Josh. So Josh had two votes, 11 votes for Julie. So the only two people that voted for Josh were Julie and Victoria. And one thing, too, with the voting is that this is unusual, too. But, of course, with the team twist and everything, uh makes it different. Everybody got to vote. Everybody got to vote and Tina was going to be the tiebreaker. Tina was the only one that didn't vote. If we ended up having a tie, Tina was going to be the vote, the one to break the tie and vote to evict whoever she wanted out of the house. So that is our first person evicted out of Big Brother Canada 9 is Julie so we have live feeds. The live feeds are up on Big Brother Canada. And that is the happenings of Big Brother Canada. I know I'm already seeing a, a lot of nervous fans to where I, the team thing is not something that a lot of Big Brother fans are liking already. Especially with how many people that it can make immune to being nominated so that is something that we're going to have to see how long that plays out. But I'm already seeing a lot of fans that are saying, eh, it's a little too Survivor-like, you know, with Big Brother so far. So I don't know. We'll just have to see how it plays out. But so this team twist looks to be around for at least a few weeks. I don't know how many weeks it's going to be, but it's definitely going to be playing out for a little bit. So we will see. But that is the first week of Big Brother Canada 
some random things here to talk about. We have first the news that what well, didn't come as a surprise to me, but it was still sad nonetheless. CMA Fest in Nashville will not be taking place in 2021 due to you know the pandemic and everything that's going on. Uh, they announced that this week. Actually, the night before they made this announcement, I was just kind of thinking in my head, we're we're into March and that's in June, and I just thought I just don't see how they can do it this year. I just it's like I feel like we're going to be better in June, but I just we're going to be closer in June, but I just don't know if I just don't see how you can do a festival in June. My only hope that I was thinking that night was, but maybe they'll hold it off until the fall. Maybe they'll just say, hey, let's let's still do it, but we're going to hold it off in the fall. But unfortunately, that's not the plan. They announced this week that CMA Fest will not take place. I'm going to read the announcement that they put out. After thoughtful deliberation, we are saddened to share that CMA Fest will not take place in 2021. We know our fans near and far have hoped that the festival could safely return this summer, and while we are encouraged to see COVID-19 vaccines becoming more widely available, we still face several challenges that prevent us from bringing our fans around the world the CMA Fest experience that they have come to expect. But rest assured, we have already started planning what will be the most epic celebration of country music next summer. Mark your calendars for CMA Fest June 9th through 12th, 2022. If you purchased four-day passes for CMA Fest 2020 and chose the rollover option, we will continue to honor your passes for CMA Fest 2022. Those who purchase passes through Ticketmaster or the CMA Fest box office will receive an email in the next 24 to 48 hours with further information about retaining your passes or requesting a full refund. Answers to frequently asked questions are also available on cmafest.com. We appreciate your patience, understanding, and ongoing support of CMA Fest and country music as we look forward to the days when we can come together again to be the first to get CMA Fest 2022 updates, including the on-sale date for limited four-day passes, as well as artist announcements. Follow CMA on social media and sign up for CMA Country Connection emails. So disappointing news, but also expected news. Uh, CMA Fest is just something that I just love going to. It's just one of the most fun things I've ever been to. And it's just crazy to think like the years of gap that there's going to be between my last CMA Fest and hopefully my next one. Because it's just so fun to go to, roaming to different stages, checking out concerts, and going to meet and greets. And it's just so much fun. It's just a lot of fun. And it's just, I don't know, I hope... Uh, Hope we can get back to that in 2022. So here is some news as far as some things coming to some streaming services here, TV and movie-wise. These are Hulu announcements as we have Blossom, Felicity, and My So-Called Life. Those three shows are going to be headed to Hulu this month. It will be all seasons of each show. Blossom will be on Hulu on March the 8th, Felicity will be there on March 9th, and My So-Called Life will be there on March 11th. The Veronica Mars movie from 2014 is now available for streaming on HBO Max. If you're not familiar with Veronica Mars, and especially that movie, this show ran from, it it ran for three seasons, which started on UPN and then roamed over to the CW. And, of course, that show 
it just seemed like it was in danger every year of being canceled and just had such a big following, you know, of just hardcores. We had such like a big hardcore following for that show and just fought for it every year to keep it around and was canceled after the third season on the CW, which was frustrating because I just always felt like that show was building momentum ratings-wise in the middle part of that season, and then they put it on hiatus for like two months because they were building ratings up until they got to that mid-season finale, and then they put it on hiatus for two months, and I just always thought that that just ruined the momentum because when they came back, the ratings were back down, and it was frustrating because I thought I just thought it broke the momentum. So fast forward to, since this movie came out in 2014, I think the campaign was 2013, if I remember right. Uh, You know, the talk for the longest time was that, you know, Kristen Bell and Rob Thomas wanted to do a Veronica Mars reunion. They wanted to do a movie. The talk about it went on for so long, like, we want to do it, everybody's in, we just got to figure out how to make it work, how to do it financial-wise, they would i think they went to they went to warner brothers pitched it it didn't go anywhere and they basically were like okay well this is what we're going to do we're going to launch a kickstarter campaign and all of us woke up one random morning hit social media and this thing was all over it of Kristen Bell, Rob Thomas and them saying we're going to do our movie, we're going to do a kickstarter campaign. This is it. We need all of you to show up jump into this Kickstarter and make this happen. This is our one shot to, if you want Veronica Mars, this is our one shot to do it. And let me tell you, everybody showed up and showed up bigger than anybody could possibly imagine. Like, I forgot how many millions of dollars they needed. It seemed like it was maybe like $2 million is what they were shooting for. And they hit it within a few hours. I was working that day. I was sitting I was sitting behind a camera recording something. So, you know, it was pretty much just like a one camera shot, just basically just sitting there recording. So I was on my phone and I kept hitting that Kickstarter website and I just kept refreshing. And every time I refreshed, the total amount went up and up and up. And I just sat there in that chair just shaking my head with a huge smile on my face as I watched these totals grow. And of course, with the Kickstarter campaign, what they did was, you know, you had different levels of what kind of money you could put in. The more money you put in, the bigger, like, rewards you got. Like, I think one of the top levels was, like, where you could be an extra in the movie. And I think one of them was maybe even, like, somebody that had a line in the movie. There was just all different levels. I mean, all the way down to the bottom, you could just put in so much and you get, like, the DVD of it. You know, and but within just a few hours, they had hit their mark and they were still climbing. And it was just, it was insane. Like, that was just one of the biggest entertainment stories of that year was uh, watching that campaign take off. And all of us fans that wanted to see this so badly all show up and we got our movie. So now it is streaming on HBO Max. If you never saw the Veronica Mars 2014 movie, it is now up there. That is the reunion movie that took place. 
just an incredible fan campaign. And I still beat myself up because I jumped in and I wish I'd win another level up because one of the levels that they had was for an autographed cast poster to where everybody signed it. And I've regretted it ever since that I didn't jump up and go up to that level on that because I really wanted to and I didn't do it. I've regretted it ever since. So <laughs> I really should have jumped up and got that autographed cast poster because they had several I forgot how many they had available but it was several and I should have done it but I didn't do it and then I regret it and I'm gonna rant about it on this podcast and probably next week's maybe not but you know for a while anyway <laughs> so Beverly Hills Cop if you're a fan of those movies they are going to be on HBO Max starting March the 20th and of course my favorite series of movies the Back to the Future trilogy they are now available on Amazon Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, head over there. You can watch what I consider to be my favorite series of movies of all time. Now, speaking with Chris, speaking of Kristen Bell, you know we're talking about that with Veronica Mars. Her and her husband Dax Shepard are going to be hosting and competing on Family Game Night on NBC. NBC announced that this week there's going to be ten episodes. Basically, what's going to end up happening, they'll split and they're going to have two teams of families, obviously. They'll split up and one will compete on one team, the other will compete on the other. They're going to be adopted into a family of four to try and help their team win $100,000. So the personalities of Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun. They're going to, their personalities are just really going to shine hosting that. So that's going to be something fun to look forward to in the future. I continue to work my way through this season of the Amazing Race Australia. I'm a few episodes behind still. I don't know, again, how up to date I am. I just know that these episodes keep popping up online on YouTube and I keep watching them. So, but I know I'm several behind. So I'm up on uh, episode 12 is where I was, and episode 12, just another great episode of this uh, this season. I'm just loving Amazing Race Australia. I've said this over and over, but so much better than the season we just had here in the United States in 2020. It was just, that one was just boring, so boring. And this season of the Amazing Race Australia has been so good. I love this cast. They're so entertaining, so likable, and they're just they're just working so hard trying to win the race, you know. So episode 12, I talked about one thing that's going on with the race. One thing I really I'm just not a fan of, and I talked about this last week is dropping these teams, brand new teams into the middle of the race to where we had MJ and Chelsea I love MJ and Chelsea. They're a fun team, just really nice, really competitive. But I'm just not a fan of these teams dropping into the middle of the race, you know? It's just, I don't know. It just kind of rubs me wrong. And then we had the bodybuilders, you know, Stan and Wayne. They just got dropped in like two episodes ago. So not only did MJ and Chelsea come in late, but... Like, here's Stan and Wayne who feel like they've come in like three-fourths of the way into the race. So, 
it's uh i don't know i'm just not crazy about that rule i like the teams i like the teams i just i don't know if it's just a rule that i'm just very crazy about in uh, this version of the amazing race but so going into episode 12 we had mj and chelsea winning that leg of the race and i talked about before about how sporadically we have these non-elimination legs of this of the race to where the winner gets a fast pass which means they skip the whole next leg of the race and they get to just chill out and relax and they automatically go into the next round into the next leg but at the end of that they also have to wait on the mat at the end and pass off two things one is a sabotage pass and the other one is a salvage pass to where the salvage is something that's going to help a team the sabotage is something that's going to hurt a team so they picked chris and alicia to give the sabotage to which they took very hard you know because they were like hey we thought they were our friends you know and they sabotaged us so they took that really hard during that So with the results of that, the sabotage for Chris and Alicia, it meant that they could not ask for directions anywhere on this leg of the race, which if you're familiar with The Amazing Race, that is a huge disadvantage that they can't ask for directions because you can easily get lost, you know. So on the flip side of that, the... the, uh, salvage went to the cowboys and they got basically a gps in their car to where it got it just told them exactly where to go so they didn't even have to worry about directions which is just a monster advantage in the amazing race so we get to the detour to where there were two different challenges one you had to do either you had to compete in bocce ball against some bocce ball bocce ball players Or you had to do this other one where you would throw a fish where you had to spin a few times and you would throw the fish and try to land it in this circle and you had to land it on there. So Jordan and Violetta, I cracked up at them because they're dancers, they're professional dancers. Every single task that they've been given that has anything to do with dancing, they just rock it on the first attempt. They're incredible. So even on this task, they figured out, hey, we need to learn how to spin, get the technique right. And once they figured out how to do that, get their to where they're throwing their weight at the right time, you know, and everything, they rocked it. They got through this and were just rock solid good there. The teams that were, well, the one team that was super struggling was Ashley and Amanda who initially started off doing the fish and then they got so frustrated that they packed up and went and did the other one and did the bocce ball and they struggled there too. And the thing with Ashley and Amanda, they have been just incredible from the start. This was very unusual to see them struggle in this race. This is the biggest time that they've struggled as of yet in this race. So they get there, they go to the detour, so they finally get that, they get the bocce ball thing done, but they're down at the bottom too. The only team that was behind them was Holly and Delore. So then we get to the intersection. The intersection of this part of the race is where 
you're going to pick a team to work with in this task. The next task at this intersection is going to require you working with another team. So you have to pick which team you want to work with. It's interesting seeing the strategy that came in here because you would see a lot of teams that were like, okay, well, who do we want to work with? And it said, well, we're hoping to see such and such team show up to where we could work with them. But once the next team showed up, it pretty well turned into whoever the next team was that showed up you worked with. Because what if you want to work with one team and they're running sixth place and you're waiting around on them? So that would be pointless. So we had Jaskarat and Anurag and they were talking about trying to figure out debating on who they wanted to work with. And the Cowboys were coming up next, and they were debating, too, on what to do. So when they arrived, they were like, hey, you want to work together? We, you know, let's talk about it. Is Are we two teams that want to work together? And they finally, within seconds, were like, yeah, let's work together. Let's just do that. So Sky and Jake were third place arriving, and they said they wanted to work with Jordan and Violetta, which to me, I'm like, yes, because that's my two favorite teams. I like Sky and Jake. And I like Jordan and Violetta. So I was super pumped seeing them work together. So Ashley and Amanda, they struggled on both detours. They finally got there. Chris and Alicia actually passed them back at the bocce ball. Because remember, now Chris and Alicia are at a disadvantage. They can't use directions. They're trying to come up from the back. And Ashley and Amanda were struggling so much, they actually passed them and Holly and Delore. They passed them as well. So Stan and Wayne, the bodybuilders, end up working with Chris and Alicia on the intersection, which leaves Ashley and Amanda to work with the power couple of Delore and Holly. So Delore and Holly, thrilled. Amanda and Ashley were not as thrilled to be working with them, but they said, you know, it wouldn't have been their first pick. But So what you've got now, you've got this intersection. You've got... Four different teams that are going to be on one boat. Four teams that are going to be on the second boat. So the first boat, which goes on out, which is Jordan and Violetta, Sky and Blue, Jaskarat and Anurag, and the Cowboys. They all are on the first boat. They're the first boat out. This was an underwater challenge to where you had to go underneath, go down into the water, hook some chains. You know, there was a whole big way of how you had to do this task and to complete it and then get approval. You had to go down there and you'd have to wave, say, hey, we need a check. And they'd go down to see if you'd done it right. So these teams really had to work together on who was going to go under the water, do that part, and then who was going to do the rest. So that ended up being a lot of strategy there. And amazingly... This ends up flip-flopping here. We've got the teams that were in the back. The Boat 2 crew ends up overcoming and end up taking the first place and end up passing the first boat crew. So you've got Ashley and Amanda who were just done a few minutes earlier, you know, on this episode. And now they have jumped all the way up to first place, which was just an incredible comeback for them to do that. And funny moment with uh, with them and then uh, Delore and Holly to where Delore is just animated. He's animated in the water because one of the things was that they talked about, yes, you have to do this task, but there's sea lions that are in this water and they may end up distracting you. 
So at one point, Dolores just going crazy in the water and he's squealing and everything else. He's like, oh my goodness, they're licking my feet, you know? And Ashley and Amanda said, yeah, it, it wasn't a sea lion. It was actually Holly's foot that was touching his and that's what he was squealing about, which was really funny. It was a really funny moment. So boat two, they are out of there. They are on to their next task which is that they have to go to these sand dunes. This was a pretty awesome task to watch. I thought this was fun. It was really hard, too. They had to go to sand dunes to where you're going to be given all these flags. You're blindfolded. Your partner is going to be on a walkie-talkie and is going to be giving directions to you over the walkie-talkie on where you need to move about to where there's these buckets spread out all over the sand and you have to roam over and put your flag in that bucket and there's like I don't know how many there were maybe six or seven I don't know maybe that many buckets out there so it was really hard it's because it's there's so many hills and it's like you're going up these things a lot of times they're walking backwards uphill in sand wearing these boots, it's like Ashley and Amanda, you know, they were talking about it, saying, I'm trying to do this in sand, and these boots barely fit on my feet, you know, and it was a pretty tough challenge, you know, because you're trying to be able to hear your partner, your partner sometimes can't see you on where you are, you know, so it was really quite the challenge. So the group on boat one, they finally finished, they finished at the same time, they are out, Ashley and Amanda, after almost being on the brink of elimination, end up first place at the mat. They get through the sand challenge, do awesome with it, and they are back up in first place. Just incredible. They really are just such a tough team. Second place at the mat is Holly and Delore. Stan and Wayne, the bodybuilders, are third place. So Christian, Chris and Alicia are the only team left from that boat that are still competing. They look to be done. After you get the flags put in the buckets, you have to climb up this hill, blindfolded again. You know, you have to tell your partner again. But when they get up there and then Alicia joins him, the producer says to them, hey, you're actually not done with this. One of your flags was not actually put in the bucket. You put it beside it and kind of skimmed the bucket, but you didn't actually put it in, which means they have to go back and find that flag and make sure that flag gets put in there. So that puts them back in a problem of trying to overcome when you've got the next boat that's come in here and they're trying to come back and win here. So back at the mat, we have fourth place, which was Chris, Brendan and Jackson, sorry, the Cowboys. They finished fourth. Fifth place, Jaskarad and Anurag come in there, and they finished fifth. Chris and Alicia finally get things settled. They uh, find their flag, get it back in the bucket, but they really struggled to find that to where it was really looking like some major drama, whether it was going to happen or not, to where they were going to finish this. So when Chris and Alicia or sixth place, that means, oh no, my two favorite teams are now competing to see who's not going to be eliminated. So, Jordan and Violetta 
Sky and Jake, they're competing, trying to get this task finished, you know, and then, but Sky and Jake come in right behind Chris and Alicia, you know, so there really wasn't a lot of drama that we saw, you know, play out very long in this episode. That means Jordan and Violetta, last team to arrive, eliminated from the race, just so disappointed because they were my favorite team on the race. I just loved their dynamic. I loved how they worked together. Just super kind people. Just worked hard. And oh, just, oh, I hated it. I hated it watching them get eliminated. So at the end of episode 12 here, here are the standings once again. So we have Ashley and Amanda with their incredible comeback to first place. Holly and Dolores second. Stan and Wayne third. Chris and Alicia, or sorry, Brendan and Jackson fourth, Jaskarat and Anurag fifth, sixth place Chris and Alicia, seventh place Sky and Jake. Now remember that we have MJ and Chelsea who are going to be jumping back in on the next leg of the race. So that is it for this week. Take care. God bless. Thank you so much as always for listening and I hope you have a great day.